Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. Do you think there were word counters before the before uh, before like you know like Microsoft Word did it for you? Do you think you could hire a word counter? Big, how many words did I write? And they would actually go through and count it. Um, I think there was probably some average base counting, but I mean, like magazines and newspapers paid by the word, right? Before Microsoft, like before digital word processors. So you're saying there was a word counter? Yeah. It seems weird to pay a word counter to count words to then pay someone else. Well, I feel probably, like you could just probably pay someone. Probably the copy editor also had to like figure out the average word count because you don't actually have to count every single word. They probably didn't do that, actually. They probably just calculated the average word per line and then multiplied that out for analytics. Mm. So, you're, so you're saying that there wasn't a professional word counter? No, I'm saying that that was not their only job. Ah, okay. So there was a professional word counter. That is, that's, that's not all they did. Right. They were probably also the copy editor. Okay. Paul, please don't include the whole thing. <laughs> I'm Brienne. <laughs> and I'm Stefan. And this is the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. I'm always laughing because it always comes after something really weird. Yeah. Well, because it's, we're always just like awkward about it. That's true. Um, so on this episode of Stories We Don't Tell podcast, uh, we're going to talk about, I guess we're going to talk about first and then have a story. Yeah. Does that make sense, audience? Great. Thanks uh, for your opinion. Yes, thank you for your opinion. Uh, and I did not give them enough time to give me opinion, but still, I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're gonna get you. We're gonna talk about a talk about an experience that both of us have had. Yes. Uh, and then and then have a story. Yes. And the experience, if if I can so explain it, do it uh, is when you write a story about someone and then you tell it while they're in the room. Yes. Which is a little weird. It is. Uh, and, and so, and, and it's, it, it, I think it in part depends on the type of story as well. Uh, cause often if you're writing a story, it's usually somewhat emotional and somewhat important. Um, and then to tell that, and then sometimes they haven't heard it yet. So in my case, uh, the person who I was telling the story had not heard it yet. Mm-hmm. And in your case, they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, so slightly yeah. different scenarios. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's probably that our relationships are different. So yeah, for sure. Spoiler alert. Mine was someone that I had been in a relationship with for a long time. We had been in a relationship for a long time, and we're no longer in a romantic relationship, but we still know each other, which I think I've referred to before on the podcast. For sure. Um, And so for me, it was like he was supporting us, and he'd come to a few of our events, I think, before I had told the story that involved him. And I was like, hey, are you going to be there? Because this is definitely about you. And so... Not everyone will know that, but like you're going to recognize yourself (laughs) in this story for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so because of the fact that we had obviously broken up like years before that, I didn't want him to be blindsided by the fact that I was all of a sudden like talking about elements of our relationship. I thought that would be super overwhelming and disrespectful. And I wanted to make sure that I was not doing him a disservice. Right. So so how did that feel? Well, um, I think because of... The nature of our post-breakup friendship, uh, during the like year or so after we broke up, I had been doing a lot of writing anyway, and some of that I had already shared with him as a like, hey, some of this is about you, and I'd love to talk to you about this, and he was really receptive to that. Um, so we had kind of talked about these things before, so it was a lot easier to be like, hey, I'm working on this story, you're familiar with the event, uh, 
you're in it. I want to make sure that it jives with how you remember the situation. And this has happened a couple of times now, I think two or three times. And honestly, the reality of it is he's always like, hey, you remember me like way better than I remember myself. So in that way, it's good because they're never like malicious breakup stories. He's mm. always like, I sound great in these stories. He like, really does come off very well. Yeah, he's quite satisfied with that. Uh, perhaps can you explain at least briefly what this story is about so the audience isn't completely in the dark? Yeah, sure. So there have been three Actually. Right. So let's let's focus on uh, the the one that's the, mostly about him. The first one. The first one. Yeah. yeah. So well, the first one is about two things. So it was about this guy that I was in a relationship with who, right. um, basically, after our relationship ended, was when the story started, and he attacked somebody while he was blackout drunk, and then my uh, future romantic interest, who I have been discussing. And now past X. Yes. Yeah, future at that time. <laughs> this is going to be really confusing for yeah. everybody. I'm sorry, world. Okay, well, in this story, I describe them according to their costumes, because on this night, there's a costume party. So the one who attacked somebody had a belt around his neck because he was dressed as autoerotic asphyxiation. And then the gentleman that I walked in with was dressed as Hulk Hogan. So I call him Hulk Hogan in the story. So Hulk Hogan and I walk in, and this has happened, and we're just becoming friends, and then we go on to start a relationship, kind of, not because of this by any means, but after this. So I kind of talk about that, just that transition of, like, what is it like to be, to go through a breakup that ends in this kind of strange, traumatic way, and what is it like to build a new relationship with someone after that and be supported by them? And also, I think, if I remember the story correctly, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in some extent, it's also sort of about how different Hulk Hogan was than sort of past relationships. Like mm-hmm. how Hulk Hogan sort of saw you in a way that you hadn't been seen before. Mm-hmm. And like he, like, he really does come off really well in the story. Yeah. And he likes, and I, I get into a little bit how, because we were together when my dad died, and it's like, yeah, and he was just the best through all of this stuff that happened. And he listened, he was all this great stuff, and also dressed like Hulk Hogan in women's <laughs> soppy shorts this one time. So I had read it to him before, and then he was at the event, and I read it. And then after, he was like, yeah, thanks. And then <laughs> I told a different story that was more about our, our breakup. And he was also at that event. Mm. And I was like, how are you afterwards? And he was like, I'm flattered. Like, you tell nice things about me even when they're breakup related. So Mm. I think the takeaway here is that I'm very kind. (laughs) So I feel really magnanimous Ah. when I tell stories about people in the room because they're just beautiful, complimentary odes. Yeah. How do you feel? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Uh, Because, well, hey, I think it's, I don't, I'm trying to think of, We've never had a story that has been overtly super negative about someone who's in the who's in the room, mm-hmm. uh, which would be really weird. Mm-hmm. And I don't don't even know how to even begin parsing what that would be like. That would be weird. Uh, so my story is a little bit of both, I guess. Something. Like, so my story was about my brother. Mm-hmm. It actually is already aired on a previous podcast. So if you if you if you have have listened to every episode. Uh, the story that I tell uh, that that we're, I'm referring to is actually a story in which uh, my brother is late for a bus. Way to uh, ruin the magic. Well, it, it, how would I? I'm not sure what how I'm going to ruin this magic. Oh, just because we're going to listen to a different story about your brother. Right. Yeah. Fair. But it's it's it, it makes it makes more sense because the, because the, because I need to explain this better, and then we'll hear another story that I, that Dave did read, and we can get into that as well. I was there. Yeah. yeah I want to talk about that. Okay. You well, weren't in the room when your brother experienced the story, but I was. Right. So that's the third part of this the, okay. this this three it's part. The most important about. part. Yeah. Uh, so the second time I have the, a fourth part too. Okay. Great. It's about you. Okay. Great. 
Uh, so the second story, uh, the, the story, the story that, that my experience of telling a story when Dave was in the, when someone was in the room was about my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mostly me being really annoyed with him. Like most of it is this moment of just pure unadulterated a- annoyance, uh, with him. Um, but it was, but it, but he comes like, even though, even though the sto- that's the story, the lens of the story, uh, it really is mostly about actually just sort of how much he meant to me growing up and how much he still means to me. Uh, and so even though the story is mostly really about me being annoyed with him, uh, he, it's not a negative story in any way, shape or form. Right. Well, you're not like coming down on his character. You're just yeah. talking about a moment that I think is probably pretty relatable for people with siblings. Yes. We're like, siblings are different. Yeah. It's frustrating. And, and, and Dave is always late. Uh, right. and you know, he, I think he know. I think, I think he at least accepts himself, accepts this about him himself. Uh, and so, and so he was at the back. So I remember, I remember telling the story specifically because I remember who he was, which was that we were in, we were in a, we were in a long, thin house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was sitting at the very, very, very back of the entire thing. So mm-hmm. I, I could see him because he happened to be just in dead center directly behind me. Yeah. Um, but like probably 30 feet away. Exactly. Yeah. Past everyone else. Yeah. Uh, and then he and his friend were sitting beside each other. And I, I remember, I remember when I started the story, his friend who was sitting beside him started laughing because he immediately knew the story was about Dave. And he was yeah. already, he already thought it was, already was excited how funny okay so at this point so your brother hasn't heard it before right so he was just at the event because he comes sometimes well it was the one year right it was our one year anniversary oh right right, right. yeah uh, no so i like, mean he does come sometimes though. Yeah, so like he was yeah, yeah. there he's there yeah but he wasn't aware that he would be featured in any way i don't think so okay i might have warned him slightly but i don't think so okay but you uh, also might not have i might not have okay um Great, and it was. Uh, but it was so. So, so I tell the story, uh, and uh, and you can sort of I, occasionally I would sort of look up, and and he would be sitting sitting there, like sort of half smiling while also trying to like, like. And part I think also the weird thing, the weird what we a follow up that we will we'll like to at some point would be asking the people what it's like to have a story told about you in the room, that uh, is because my secret hope. Yes, uh, because I think. In part, also that they become a fixture, especially when it's obvious. So I think in your story, uh, Hulk Hogan did not. It was unclear to most people in the room that Hulk Hogan was was was, was hearing a story about himself. Right. In my story, it was patently obvious to almost everybody in the room, yeah. or at least fifty percent of the room, that the story was happening with my brother. Right. Uh, because it's obvious. Because I mentioned my brother, and everyone knows like he is my brother. Like yeah. Right. And so it was a very different experience, I think, for, for me, him. Yeah. A few people would know, but pe- anybody that would know that Hulk Hogan was in the room would have automatically already known a lot more about us. Exactly. To know because we weren't in a relationship ever. Yeah. While knowing these people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet, and yet, but this, but Dave did not, to some right. extent. Um, and it was good. I thought, like, you know, again, because the story was, was, was true um, and... And and generally positive. It was, a, I think, a a good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I don't think there was uh, like again. We didn't actually really talk about it because Dave and I have trouble talking about things. Um, Were you worried about it? No, because like I, I knew that I knew that the way the story was and the and, and the way that uh, like I think if I was I wasn't taking any shots. You know, yeah. I was I was. It was a very direct story, and then also linking back to our childhood. It was I was not. I wasn't concerned at all, really. Yeah. And then he wrote you a beautiful ode for your birthday. Right, yes. That you didn't know was happening. That is true. So I guess this is just a thing that you guys do. Because he was supposed to tell a story Mm -hmm. at the event in January, which was also your birthday party. Yeah. And then he just threw that away and wrote something about the two of you. 
Yeah. So I told him, like, surprise, I'm reading this. Yeah. So I told him that he could, I told him earlier that he could not tell the story, but I didn't know what else he had done. Uh, So I didn't know, I didn't know what he was showing up with. That's amazing. Um, And then it was about you. Yeah. So I guess that that is, that we we sort of do have the experience. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So you guys have both done that. And then, yeah, this, so this story that we're about to hear. Yes. He was not at the event because he had to go somewhere, but he read your notes before the event. Like he, yeah, he read the story. He read the whole story. Yeah. Before he, he left. Yeah. He read the whole story and he was verbally reacting to it. That was yeah. the best because you were doing something else. And um, at the very beginning of the story, I'm going to just spoil yeah, sure. one moment. At the very beginning of the story, you make this list of things about your brother. Mm-hmm. And he's reading, and so he, that's where he was when he was reacting, and he was like, easily distracted, excuse me, but only because he thinks that you're easily distracted because you're always looking at your phone, which right. is true, you are always looking at your phone, which is what I told your brother. Mm. I was like, you're right, Stefan is always on his smartphone, and then we went back to reading. <laughs> so that was what I had to say about that. Right. And then the other thing that I have to say is that you almost found yourself in a position of reading an ex-related story while they were there, Right. but then it was disrupted. Um, so you could have known what that meant. Like you were expecting someone to be there. Yeah. And then, you, then they, they didn't come. They didn't come, yeah. Because they would have been on a date and that would have been weird. Yes, right. That was, I forgot, I, I, I remember I, I had forgotten that that was going to be the last part of that. Um, I forgot, I forgot why, that, why that was why she didn't end up coming. Um, she also has never been to one since, uh, which is an, a funny side note to that. Maybe she thinks that you just talk about her every month. I don't think so. Okay. That's probably for the best. <laughs> I'm that quite be certain that is not the case. That'd be weird. Uh, well, I think that's kind of the big stuff about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, how do you prepare for it? I don't yeah. know. Uh, like, if I think, I think, uh, so what, what, here's, here's a thought. Uh, I have never told my brother uh, that I'm going to tell a story about him beforehand, but I have always told uh, a significant, a former significant other that I was going to. Yeah. Uh, and I think I would, I think, so I think it depends on your relationship. Yeah. Like, I think. Well, like, with a sibling, I mean, especially you guys, because you grew up, like, in the same spaces all the time. Yeah. You kind of, I think there's an assumption that, like, a lot of your stories overlap so much because your entire lives overlap that it's less of a, like, hey, warning, I'm going to tell a story about a time in my life that you were a part of because he was a part of every time in your life. Right, right. Versus with the significant other, it's it is a, it's a choice to mm-hmm. include them. Well, and I think also, I, I think also there's a level of, with significant other, uh, it's, it's more like I think when you're in a relationship, it's the two of you living this sort of shared part of your life. Whereas a sibling, you're sort of living your life. If that makes any sense, so I, like, does that make like does that distinction make any sense to you? I mean, it, that, it like, both does and does not. Right, but it's fine. Yes, I think people will agree with you, or they can tweet you angry turtles. Yes, angry turtles. If you do not agree with me on this specific issue. And I think that the risk with this is like, obviously you could upset the person, but you can prevent that by warning them. Yes. And then the corollary risk is that uh, you might remember things differently. Right. In a way that causes conflict. And that's another thing where you can lean on the person or you can choose not to tell a story or you can most likely tell it somewhere where they're not going to be if you're really worried about that. Yeah. And I, want, and I think also sticking, I've, what I've been is sticking more to a direct fact-based description of what is happening versus like well don't and attribute then, feelings to them exactly don't attribute, intentions. don't attribute feelings to them i think that's yeah. the biggest thing don't attribute intentions to other people i mean ever that's a good fact that's, that's a good list. okay well with that with that here's a story from stefan hostetter about his brother
Here's a short, incomplete list of overarching complaints I have about my brother. <laughs> One, he approaches strangers. Two, he's stubborn. Three, he's easily distracted. And four, I love him. See, his job is to make sure that I have a time worth living, and my job is to make sure he stays alive. My dad chuckles as I reach over the seats to give him a hug, and Dave's already actually swinging around the car to pull his oversized backpack out of the, out of the trunk, and I slide mine out of the back seat. And we say our final goodbyes, and my dad pulls away from the terminal. You see, Amsterdam, when you arrive in Amsterdam at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, it's like showing up at a high school citywide party just after someone's yelled cops. Because it's deserted. And yet there's litter everywhere. And we're sort of snaking our way through these cobblestone streets, and the only side of life is these large white cleaning trucks. And we're trying to make our way with this sort of paper map because it's begun. And see, Dave and I aren't, uh, we're used to being around each other a lot. We, slit, we had the same room for 18 years of our entire life. Uh, when I left from university, uh, that was the first time we weren't sharing beds in the same room. And he snores and that's the worst. Um, but uh, then even then I would come back from university and in the summers we'd share a room again. So we're used to this. But even still, three weeks of constant contact with no cell phones and in cities we'd never been in was going to be at least a little bit novel. So, complaint number one. He approaches strangers. One of these people has got to have a smoke. Approximately 160 hours in, or just under one week, of constant contact later, we find ourselves sitting on a riverbank in Berlin, watching the people who've slowly migrated here as if drawn by the setting sun. We're about to leave. Uh, there's, it's, a, it's a two hour trip back out to our hotel, uh, which is at the last stop of the Berlin's version of a subway, and then a half hour walk from there. Uh, a weird deal made it, made it the cheapest hotel in Berlin this weekend, uh, even though I can only describe it as a posh 19, 1970s retirement home. Um, complete with a shoe shiner attached to every wall. And, and it's not like we're already in good shape. Uh, we run very little sleep. We both made terrible food decisions earlier in the day. Uh, and so we are ready to get the fuck home. But Dave really wants this smoke. And so, uh, and so he is going to find it. I'm going to ask. I'm going to go ask someone. Cover me. What? <laughs> What do you mean cover you? Watch me and then run over if you see anyone punch me in the face. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this woman who's sitting a little up, perk up at the last sentence. Uh, and I'm about to ask him why on earth he would think that's a possibility in this scenario. Uh, but he's already gone. He's already up the, up the thing. And my, myself and now our slightly concerned neighbor are watching him walk out of sight. And I'm still not entirely sure if he expects me to follow him, uh, so I don't. 
and so he returns a couple minutes later. Uh, it turns out he's found some people jamming further down the road. Uh, and, and I should join. And so I grab all our stuff and I follow him up the road and off we go. And within, the, within a minute we find them. Uh, and there are two important things to know about, the, about these jammers. The first is that they're the exactly the hippies you picture in your minds right now. Uh, perhaps best personified by a man named Romix. And that's Romix with three X's. Uh, he, it didn't actually, it didn't change the pronunciation, of course, but it seemed really important at the time. Uh, now, Romix seemed to be the leader of this sort of troupe. And, and he wore a white shirt with black suspenders and a bowler hat. And, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, the second thing to know about, about this troupe was that they were remarkably talented. Uh, they had somehow biked an entire drum kit over there and set it entirely up. They had two different electric guitars and a bass. And throughout the evening as we sat there, Musicians would come and grow from the circle uh, and bring in their different instruments with them. Romix played a melodica. <laughs> I know. He would also later reveal he was a psych trance DJ uh, from France. He was convinced that Berlin was the most diverse city in the world. I then went to Paris shortly afterwards and was like, what are you talking about? But that's besides the point. Uh, but what's fascinating was that we spent hours sitting by this river and by this point, I had asked Dave, three, I asked Dave if he was ready to go, and he kept saying, not yet. And what's fascinating about this sort of, this flow of musicians is that at midnight, I was starting to be, be like, okay, it is time for us to leave. We have two hours to get back. We have to check out the next morning from this weirdly posh hotel. Uh, let's move. And that's when the trombone arrived. Complaint number two, he's stubborn. 165 hours of constant contact later, or simply 155 in the morning, I've now asked Dave three times uh, if it's time for us to go given our long trip back, and each time he's pitched for a little longer. And to be fair, the scene is beautiful. Uh, everyone else who had been stretched out along the bank have now sort of joined this one space. And because we were there early, uh, we were sort of in the center of this musical ambiance of this whole entire region. Uh, and we're sort of sitting out on a river bank that is consistently sort of reflecting all of the light coming from their side. And so every time one of their, the U-Bahn or whatever they call their subways there would go by, it would reflect off the river and it was absolutely gorgeous. And the music sort of flew off the air and it's, you know, it's a warm, summer day. It was beautiful. And so I didn't begrudge him. But as, as, as it happened at the end of this particular song, Romix stood up and informed everyone that it was time uh, for him and his musical troupe to leave. And so he passed around the hat and Dave finally agreed it was time to get on transit to go home. I just want to say goodbye to Romix and thank him for this. And I was like, okay, fair. Uh, he returned a minute later and he says, Romans has invited us to a party. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's close. It's walking distance even. Uh, you want to go? See, he's there here to make sure that I have a time worth living. Sure. Let's go. And with that, with that sentence, 
I came at us discovering what the German translation of walking distance is. <laughs> and so at 4.30 in the morning, two and a half hours later, after a few wrong turns, a subway ride, and a falafel break, uh, Romix proudly points to the chain-linked gate that was now all that separated us from our destination. But by this time, the sun was now rising on the former industrial district turned club scene, and the morning light was not doing any favors. <laughs> Five euro got us into this littered cement courtyard, uh, and Romix and a few of, of the group remaining were had you would we'd slowly lost people through this two and a half hours, and so there's we had gone from about fifteen down to about ten at this point, which was still remarkable in my mind. Uh, had now gone into the club, and so Dave and I followed suit. And to give you a picture of this, the bathrooms were made to do coke in, and yeah, they a hundred percent. There's just, there was there was barely toilets. Um, <laughs> And, the, and all of the leather, co leather couches and seats, I don't know why they chose leather, sat out, that sat outside of the main space were probably toxic enough to kill a small child. And the main stage was surrounded by these, by evenly spaced pale bodies flailing in uncoordinated and uncanny directions. But I was there. So I, I wanted to get into it. So I got a beer and that didn't help. Uh, I danced in the corner and really thought this was going to work, but the music remained impenetrable. And so I told Dave that I was going to be outside, I was going to hang out in the courtyard, when he was done dancing, we would leave. Uh, and so I went out and I found this purple bench. It was the only thing that was in the entire weird courtyard. It was a purple park bench that had an assortment of weird things on it, but the, the coup de gras was a half of an eggplant that was rotting and was being used as an ashtray. It was it's beautiful. Uh, and as I sat there, a man exited the club and came to me and asked me if I was selling ketamine. Uh, to which, and he didn't seem to believe me when I told him no. Complaint three, uh, Dave is easily distracted. 171 hours of constant contact. It's now 7.30 in the morning, and the door of the hotel is in sight. And see, the two hours or more commute back of here uh, gave Dave time enough to explain to me that I was a strung-out lanky guy in an oversized sweatshirt, Stay, sitting in the courtroom, sorry, sitting in the courtyard of a psych trance club at five in the morning. So really, it should have been me who was surprised that more people did not ask about the prospect of ketamine. <laughs> but I digress. As we approach the hotel, we can see all of the other guests sitting, elderly as they were, out for what seemed like afternoon tea. And so I sort of tried to straighten my back and act as if we too were just out for a morning stroll and were returning to this very normal establishment. And so we hop into the few steps, we nod very knowingly at the, at the bar hop and it's like, yes, this makes perfect sense, carry on, sir. Uh, and we go up the stairs and as I'm up the stairs, I get to our landing, I realize that Dave's not beside me anymore. And he's back down the stairs, standing beside this weird white box. And I turned to him, I'm like, what are you doing? 
and he reacts as if it should have been obvious. I'm shining my boots. <laughs> Complaint number four. I love him. 435 hours of constant contact. You may not, under any circumstances, give a day-by-day -day recounting of our trip. I look at him confused. What do you mean? When you get home, people are going to ask you what we did. You cannot, under any circumstances, give them a day-by-day -day, day -day rundown of what we did. We're walking out down the long bricked planks that run between the trains. They go on and on, far longer than the train itself, and eventually the high ceiling gives it way to open air and we're basked in the warm sunlight. Why not? Dave stands, arms crossed in front of me as I fiddle with my backpack to make sure that everything is there. His backpack sits high on his back because he's moving from one hostel to another, and I have a twinge of guilt that I won't see him be able to check in. You'll ruin the magic. Okay. I acquiesce. But please don't die. It was my job to keep you alive, and now that's on you. He smiles, and I turn to show my ticket to the agent, who checks it and nods. And I turn back, and I salute, and Dave salutes back. And I hop up the few steps to coach, find my seat and throw my backpack above my head and sit beside, out beside the window and look out. And I'm on the wrong side uh, of the train, so I can't, can't see Dave. But as soon as I sit down, the train starts lurching forwards and, and leaving the station. Twelve seconds of no contact. The moment the steel beams faded into the cement background, it descended. This... this blindness. Because I'd spent the last three weeks with two brains and four eyes, and suddenly to be left with only my mind felt incompetent. One minute of no contact. I miss him. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. Stories We Don't Tell podcast has been brought to you by Word Counters, because somebody had to do it before we had digital word processing. Oh man, things are going to get serious. Things are going to get serious. Oh, things are going to get serious. Whoa. Things are going to get serious.